Uh, again, I want to welcome you guys. My name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant as the lead pastor. My wife, Ebony, she is uh, actually at home right now with our youngest, Vivian, who uh, was vomiting this morning at the most convenient time you could possibly imagine as I'm leaving the house. So it's like as a dad's heart, you know, you're like, I have to leave and I don't want to. So either way, I uh, just want to introduce myself to you if we haven't met uh, on eldership with Herrick, the incomparable Herrick Berga, his lovely wife, Heather Berga. The reason I share that with you is because like Herrick mentioned, we really, we're convinced that the church is not an event that you attend. It's not a building. It's not a nonprofit organization. Um, it's not a business. It's the family of God. We relate to God as Father, relate to each other as brothers and sisters. It's, it's, it's relational. That's really what it is. And I want to be in relationship with you. Okay, so if we haven't met yet, I'd love to introduce myself personally, get to know you, hear your story, tell you ours. Um, but yeah, this morning, we're going to be uh, jumping back into the Gospel of John, the book of John, right? So if you have your Bible, you can grab that now. We are in week, let me see here, week 21 through our series through the Gospel of John. And this has been, I feel like it's been really productive for us as a church. I feel like I've been challenged in many ways. Uh, I feel like many of us has, have kind of really been developing and growing in light of how God reveals himself to us in the scriptures. And one of the things about this series is we intentionally called this series Jesus Is. Um, and the reason we called this series Jesus Is is because we want to learn as much about Jesus as we possibly can. Um, because I'm convinced that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing in your entire life. That's a bold statement, but I believe it with all of my heart. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing in your entire life. Because here's the thing about belief. If you've been journeying with us in this series, this is going to be reviewed, but I think it's important to mention just so that all of our hearts and minds are kind of in the same spot. What you believe, what you actually, not just acknowledge to be true, but what you trust in, what you believe, it actually determines how you behave. It has massive implications on our lives. That's why we're spending, that's why we're being so intentional about journeying in John and really discovering who Jesus is. So, all that being said, go ahead and flip over to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. We'll have the words on the screen for you. Uh, if you were with us last week, I made this kind of like ridiculous, not ridiculous, but I, I tried to announce that we're switching to the Christian Standard Bible for our, for our Sunday gatherings, and I just butchered it and like talked about, you can listen back at it, but it was an embarrassing pastoral moment. Uh, but I'll be in the CSB again this morning, but as you're flipping there, John chapter 6, I want to tell you a story. Um, last week... We kind of went through, and we had a really, uh, I think we had a really unique and special gathering. We kind of gave you an update on a trip that myself and Herrick and Jason went to South Africa. And we spent a week uh, ministering to two different churches there. And one of the different things that we did was uh, I did like a prayer and, and essentially like how to listen to God training. And I did it with this church uh, called West Point, wonderful people in the suburbs of Durban, Durban South Africa. And one of the stories that came out out of that time was there was a woman who basically I took them through basically helping them. How do you, how do you actually listen to God? How do you hear his voice? And how do you know it's him if you're hearing something, right? And I had them break up in groups and try these different exercises and things. And, and this woman, uh, probably, I think she was probably in her late 60s, and she, she breaks up with her, her partner, and they're going to pr- spend some time trying to listen to God's voice. And out of that time, she feels, she feels like God speaks to her and says, I want you to pray for healing for this other woman. And here's the thing. It made her really uncomfortable 
because this woman, she, be, she said she'd been a Christian for over 50 years. That's amazing. But she'd never prayed for healing for someone in all the whole 50 years of following Jesus. So she goes, she feels like God speaks to her and says, hey, I want you to heal, or I want you to pray for healing for this woman. So she's really uncomfortable, but she's like, okay, like, I, f- I feel like God's speaking to me. I want to obey this. And it sounds like something that he would desire and want, you know, redemption, restoration, healing. And so she starts, she, she does it. First time in her life, she does it. So she puts her hand on this woman and she starts praying for her healing. And she says she feels her hand get super hot. And the other, the woman that she's praying for is like freaking out because she feels the heat too. And long story short, that woman gets healed instantly in the middle of this, in the middle of this training. Yeah, you can, you can whistle and clap for that. Like, it's pretty awesome. So this happens and she's kind of freaked out. But it all kind of came from this moment of God speaking, God saying something that caused her at first to feel really uncomfortable. Today, we're going to talk about something. In today's passage, Jesus is going to say some things that make people feel uncomfortable. But hear me say this. If we understand, if we actually give ourselves to truly understanding what Jesus is really saying, it's incredibly life-giving. Uncomfortable? Yes. But, the, but the, if we can decipher this, if we can really examine it for what's truly happening here, it's beautiful. Okay? Hopefully you are in John chapter 6. I'm going to pray for us before we jump in. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for being with us. Um, even though I so often stiff-arm you, try to do things in my own strength, or, um, yeah, with any wisdom that I possess apart from you, you're so gracious and kind and loving, and I know my brothers and sisters and my friends in this room are the same way. Uh, we are not perfect people. We regularly make mistakes, but your grace and your love and your mercy, it never runs dry. It never runs out on us. So my prayer this morning, Holy Spirit, is that you would teach us more about Jesus. Point us to Jesus, please. Help us see him more clearly. Hear his voice more clearly. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to love and serve these precious people. I I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. So please use me um, and bless us together. We want more of Jesus. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 6, really quickly, I'm going to start in verse 22, but I want to kind of just bring you up to speed, because a lot of things have happened that actually uh, have implications on what we're about to read here. So just before this moment that we're about to read, okay, Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000. You've probably heard this story before. Essentially, they they have a, a handful of loaves of bread and a handful of fish, and Jesus basically multiplies all that miraculously to feed feed 5,000 people. Here's the thing. It says 5,000 people, but they only counted heads of households. So most biblical scholars think it's something like 20,000 people. Okay, that's a lot of people. Um, That's like Staples Center, okay? It's a lot of people. So 20,000 people, Jesus feeds these people miraculously. And then what happens is his disciples, his close-knit, his 12, they, uh, this is happening right around the Sea of Galilee, okay? They hop in their boat and they go over the Sea of Galilee. They're headed towards Capernaum, which is basically Jesus' home base for the three years of his ministry. So think like Jesus' spot. This is where he's, his home base, where he's ministering out of. So they head, after feeding the 5,000, they hop in the boat, they head to Capernaum across the Sea of Galilee, and they happen to do it overnight. And what happens is this storm comes in. And Jesus, he, he's not with them in the boat. He walks on water out to them and then ushers them safely to Capernaum. 
that's where we pick up. Okay, so let's jump in here. John chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 22. It says this, I'm in the Christian Standard Bible, just so you know. Those of you guys that were here last week, you'll, 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 you'll see. Okay, read, listen to the podcast. Verse 22. Uh, the next day, after what had happened, right? Feeding of the 20,000, walking on the water. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats, some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. That's where he multiplied miraculously the bread, the fish, and the loaves, okay? Um, verse 24. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Okay, so you get the picture. They're, they're trying to find Jesus. He's not where he was. They're trying to find him. <clears throat> when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Okay, pause for a second. I want you to skip all the way to the last verse that we're going to read today, verse 59. I want to read really quickly, and then we'll come back to everything else, okay? Verse 59, end of all this. He, Jesus, said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Um, Will you guys throw that picture up there for me? Hopefully you have it. I'm showing you this picture for a really important reason. It, what we're about to read, all these, what Jesus is about to say, essentially, what we're about to read, it took place in the synagogue in Capernaum. I'm standing in the synagogue in Capernaum in this picture. The reason I show this to you is because I want this to be as real as possible for us. This is not a fairy tale. This is a historical account, okay? This really happened, it's beautiful. I got to stand where Jesus is about to say these words, okay? So let's read these words. Let's jump in. Okay, verse 26. We're back, we're back uh, in the story here, okay? Jesus answered. Here we go. Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, again, pointing to him as the Savior, pointing to him as the Messiah, these miracles that say he's more than just a man, Right? Um, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then he says this, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Um, you need to know, I pr- you probably already see it here, but these people, they're seeking Jesus not for him. They're, they're, they're essentially, they're seeking him for what he can give them. Um, probably 10 years ago, my, 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 my background is in music. Uh, I, spent, I spent like a decade of my life, that's what I gave my life to. Um, I gave my life to even leading worship. It was awesome. It was a beautiful season of life. I loved it. And one of the perks of that season of life was uh, I, I had what's called a, um, Sean, are you in the room? Where are you? Oh, he just stepped out. Okay, so Sean used to work for Guitar Center. So he would know what it's called. I think it's called, I, get, I got like an artist deal at Guitar Center. It was great. And what it meant was I got gear for, <laughs> a 
like crazy discounts, okay? Crazy discounts, way better than you can get anywhere else, and it was this awesome perk. So needless to say, I spent way more money than I should have in that season of life buying music gear. Um, but it was what I did and for a living and all that kind of stuff too, so I could justify it in my head, but either way. So that season of life, it, it was a lot of fun, and I remember um, one story was, or one, one, one example I want to share with you was with that, with that deal was this guy um, he kind of befriended me. And he was like, hey, man, drummer, really gifted drummer. He goes, hey, uh, I'd love to, like, play with you guys sometime. That'd be, that'd be so much fun. Like, are you leading worship anytime soon? I'd love to jump in. I was like, yeah, man, that'd be, that sounds great. Like, uh, so I basically said, let's, let's work this together. Like, a couple Sundays from now, you can lead worship with me, or you can jump in the band, and it'll be great. And so he was all excited. And then a few days later, he comes to me, and he's like, hey, man, I heard you have, like, I heard you have that artist deal at Guitar Center, like, I've been looking, I've been trying to buy, like, I've been trying to buy a new drum set, and it's just more than I can afford, but, like, do you think maybe you could help me out? And I was like, dude, of course, like, absolutely, like, come down to Guitar Center, I'll, I'll take care of you, let's go. So we go to Guitar Center, and he's like, well, here's the one I've been wanting, and, like, but I don't know if, it just, it's like, it's way more than I can afford, and I'm, like, talking to the manager, I'm like, hey, here's the, here's the drum set I'm thinking about, and here's all the stuff, like, can you price it up, so he, you know, pulls it up on the computer, and then flips the computer screen around, and the guy sees the price, and he's like, can I buy it right now? Because it was such a good deal. It was, like, it was like half off everything, right? It was great. And so he's stoked on it. He feels so encouraged. I'm encouraged. I got to help this guy out, get the drum set of his dreams. Um, he's going to use it in the, you know, a couple weeks when we lead worship together. And so, so, yeah, so he's pumped. And about a week goes by. It's, it's, it's a few days before, um, before we're supposed to play together. And he hits me up. And he's like, hey, man, I'm not going to make it. And I was like, oh, is everything okay? Like, what's wrong? And he's like, yeah, everything's fine. I just can't make it. And then he goes dark for like months. Doesn't want to hang out. Doesn't want to play music. Doesn't want to be friends. He's not sick. He's not like, he didn't want to be my friend. He wanted drums. These guys, they, they weren't after Jesus. They wanted to use him. And he saw right through it. He, Jesus knew these people, they didn't want him. They wanted to use him. So pastorally and lovingly to the Christian in the room, like what about you? It's different seasons of life can be difficult, but what about you in this season this morning? Like, do you want Jesus? Do you want his presence, his forgiveness, his grace, his love, or is he just somebody that you go to, you know, when like money's tight and you're starting to kind of like worry or you want the promotion at work, you know? Is he just somebody that you go to when you want your circumstances to change? So hear me say this. God cares about the circumstances of your life. He cares about the condition of your circumstances. He truly does. But listen, what matters more to him is the condition of your soul. So, lovingly, how is your soul doing this morning? If you were to take a pulse, how's your soul? You feeling stressed, maybe? Anybody feeling anxious? Depressed, apathetic? The thing about your soul is it's kind of like your body. You can tell a lot about the health of your soul by what you feed it, just like you can tell a lot about the health of your body by what you feed it. So what do you feed your soul? What do you give it? What do you consume? 
Because here, Jesus, he refers to food, a specific kind of food. He says, he talks about the food that perishes. Um, I don't know about you, but I find myself, not just in, like in the history of my life, but even today, putting way too much stock in temporary things. Way too much stock in temporary things. It occupies way too much of my life. I consume these thoughts and these desires and I'll run down rabbit trails or whatever. Um, I just recently got this update on my phone. How many of you guys are iPhone people versus Android people? iPhone people? Wow. (laughs) Come on, D. So if you guys got the update with the last iPhone, they have this thing called screen time now. Have you seen this? How sobering is that? I spend this much time doing what? Ugh. Yeah, it can be tough, man. It can be tough. The food that perishes. Um, I've been like, I've been going back and forth with social media, uh, guys. Like, I think it can be a really helpful tool, staying connected. It can be really, really beneficial. But it can also be really dangerous, man. Really, really dangerous. Like, scrolling through your feed, comparing yourself with other people and the lives that they project on Instagram or Facebook how perfect they are. And you start to compare yourself. You're like, well, my life's not like that. Like, I mean, I just left the house this morning. And my kid was barfing everywhere. Like, do I Instagram that? Like, <clears throat> and I find myself running to the food that perishes, counting the likes or being disappointed by how many likes aren't there or whatever. And I'm like, ah, man, maybe social media. I just have to be careful. Screen time app is great. 15 minutes max per day, done. But this idea of like, what are the things that we're consuming? Is it food that perishes? Is, 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 is it temporary? Is it, is, it, is it not really worth as much as we think it's worth? Is it, is it not going to really give us the nutrition spiritually for our soul that we think it's going to? We feed our soul with the food that perishes. You see, far too often we seek Jesus because we want the temporary pleasures of life. That's why I go to him sometimes. And I know you're just like me. You're just as jacked up as me. I want my circumstances to change, Jesus. I want this food that perishes. But Jesus, he offers us something far greater, far more satisfying. And what Jesus does is he tells these guys that they're pursuing the wrong thing. The thing that they're seeking, it's actually not what they really want. It's the wrong thing. And he calls them out because he knows it's not him that they want. Let's keep going. Verse 28. This is what, how they respond to Jesus. They say this, the people that are kind of seeking, trying to find him. They say, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, I love this, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Okay, so they basically go to Jesus and they say to Jesus, hey, we've seen you do all these amazing things for God, these miraculous, incredible things for God. We've seen you do this. We want to do amazing things too. What what should we do? And Jesus tells them the only thing God wants them to do is believe. Um, I, I played basketball growing up in high school. And my varsity team ran one play. We called it passing game. And the reason we ran one play was because if we ran it effectively and efficiently, no one could stop it. And it was like, why would we add a bunch of plays to our playbook if, they, if, if the play that we have can't be stopped? Why add more? <clears throat> and it's funny because 
Jesus basically tells these guys, hey, we've seen you do amazing things for God. We want to do amazing things for God too. What should we do? He basically says, hey, there's only one play in your playbook, guys. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We got we to kind of, I got to do some teaching on this word belief because I think it's really misunderstood, especially in the church. Uh, the word believe, it's, it's originally written in Greek here in the Gospel of John. The, wor- the Greek word for believe is pistiwo. And it means, it means to have complete, comprehensive trust in. Complete trust in, okay? So listen, Christian belief is far more than just acknowledging that something is true. Many of you have heard me say this before, but it's a rut that we go into all the time. Christian belief is not just acknowledging that something is true. Christian belief is far more than that. It's complete trust. Um, The Bible tells us that the demons believe. Satan and demons believe in Jesus. They acknowledge that he's true. They acknowledge that he's God. Christian belief is different. Um, Christian belief is complete trust, okay? Okay? Um, those of you guys that know me, you know I have two daughters, and they are super adventurous. I love them so much. And one of the fun, one of the, like a, a really fun memory for me when they were growing up is like when they were kind of learning to swim and still having their first experiences in the pool. Um, was my sister-in-law Cassie? Her parents have this pool, and it's kind of like there's like multi-level. So there's like the, the patio level is up here, and then the pool level is down here, and it's just it's concrete, but it's it's separated by like I want to say like what five feet maybe. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty deep drop-off, right? And we're in the pool, and my girls are what, Mark, maybe three or something? They both kind of did this in the same season of life in different stages, and they would go up on the, the top ledge, and they'd stand there, and me and my brother Mark would be in the pool, and I'd be like, baby, jump to me. Jump to me. And they, without, without even thinking, were like, okay, poof. And they would jump in. I'm like, I wouldn't do that as like a teenager. And they're doing it as like a three-year-old. They're adventurous spirit. I love that about my girls. But think about it. Like, why would they do that? Why would they obey me that way? Because they completely trusted daddy. They didn't even give it a second thought. I think they recognized, like, this is kind of scary, but my dad's there. They had complete trust. And that's the thing about complete trust, friends. Complete trust has implications. If you trust, you obey. They go hand in hand. They'll obey my words to jump because they have complete trust in me. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me. I need you to participate with me or my preaching just totally bombs. Great. Okay. So listen, when the Bible says believe, that's what it's talking about. It's this idea of complete trust and has implications of obedience. Okay? Um, Here's the thing, too. We could apply this same idea to calling. Um, It's so funny. I feel like so many Christians, especially millennials, I'm a, technically I'm a millennial, but we have this, like, we're enamored with our calling. Like, I want to live out my calling. I have my calling because because we all think that we're unique as millennials. But here's the thing. Honestly, everybody is. That's actually kind of a a sign of maturity. It can go down the wrong road quick of like pride, but no, every person has intrinsic, unique value. Like God created us in his image and there's no two people that are the same. So I'm not picking on millennials, but this idea of calling, I think especially Christians, like we get enamored with this idea of calling. How many of you know what your calling is in life? You can raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you, but pretend I was going to hand you a microphone. Would you be able to go, I'm, this is my calling in life. Beautiful. A handful of us. That's great. Um, 
I think I'm going to tell you, use an illustration, I think it'd be helpful. When I was away in Africa, we had some dear friends gift my family with tickets to Legoland. How many of you guys have been to Legoland? Anybody? Okay, so my wife's sending me pictures in real time of the girls just having a blast, and I'm like already homesick. (laughs) So I'm just like, oh, I miss them so much, but I'm getting these super cute pictures. And she sends me this one picture of this like massive um, like city, and it's built out of Legos. If you, if you guys have been there, you've probably seen it. It's like, maybe it's a replica of Manhattan, I don't know, but it's, they're just built skyscraper after skyscraper, and it's all built out of Legos. It's massive. And I remember thinking, like, how do you build something like that? It's a lot of work. There's a lot going into it. If you've ever built Legos, you know, like, the instructions and the directions can be pretty intricate and intense. How do you build like a a Lego city like that? And I felt like the Spirit said, brick by brick, one brick at a time. You see, when it comes to calling, we as people, we get so consumed with that finished product. That that finished product, what am I called to? And the problem is, is that we are thinking macro. We're thinking big picture, okay? God handles that. God handles big picture. And what God does is he tells us to trust him and to obey moment by moment. He says, don't worry about the finished product. Don't worry about the the, the Lego city. Here's a brick. Trust me. Obey me. He's the engineer, okay? And he builds the city. He, He uses us to assemble the city, our calling. You guys tracking with my imagery here? We get so enamored with this big picture and God goes, here's a brick. Trust me and obey me with this. Place it where I want it to be for the sake of the city, for the sake of your calling. And then we do that, he goes, here's another brick. Place the brick. Um, Those of you guys that have been around the church for a while, you know when Jesus called his first disciples, what did he say? He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I'm going to say that again. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, okay? Our role, people, our role in our calling is what? And using that as an outline, follow me, follow Jesus. That's our role, okay? To trust and obey Jesus moment by moment and he will make you become your calling. You tracking with me? God builds the Lego city. We obey, we trust, brick by brick. God handles the macro of your calling. We handle the micro. And think about this. Think about what would happen if you lived your life five minutes at a time. Five minutes at a time. In those five minutes, you went, I'm going to trust and obey Jesus for these five minutes. I'm not going to be so worried about the big Lego city, so worried about the, the, the big picture. Five minutes. Trust and obey. And then another five minutes, trust and obey. Do you know what would happen? You would live out your calling, and it would be glorious, and it would be beautiful. We get so enamored with the big picture. So enamored with the big picture. Living out your calling happens on the micro level, moment by moment. So, 
That being said, many of us, we go through different seasons of life. We're like, I'm having this problem. I'm having this issue. My marriage, like we're, we're fighting and I'm not stoked on it. Like, what are we going to do? I'm having these problems, marriage, finances, relationships, uh, whether it's conflict or whatever, like stuff's going down at work and you're, it's bothering you. We all have these kinds of problems. What do I do? Trust and obey him. Trust and obey him five minutes at a time. And hear me say this, if you're like wondering, well, what does it look like to obey him? Like I'm in this situation, what do I do? How do I actually live five minutes at a time, brick by brick with my life? Guys, Jesus, he said that the entire law can be summed up with two things. Love God with everything that you've got and love other people. If you're wondering what it looks like to trust and obey for the next five minutes, love God with everything you have and love the people around you. I know that sounds simple. That's Jesus' message. And guess what? There's, I don't know, a bunch of people in here. All of us royally fail at that. It's hard. It might be simple, but it's difficult. Okay? So the reason I share that with you, honestly, like in love as a brother who's following Jesus too, is I don't want any of us, listen, stay with me. I don't want any of us to miss out on our true calling. Because if you're like me, I like to hijack my story. I think I, I'm called to this. I'm called to being, you know, whatever. But I don't want us to miss out on our true calling. Because there's going to be more joy and satisfaction. And frankly, God's kingdom is going to come exponentially greater if we trust and obey. You, you following me with this? Great. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 30. We have a lot of scriptures, so I might be preaching a little bit longer, but just sit tight. Verse 30. What sign then? This is, this is these people, okay? They respond to Jesus. This is classic. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? So, in other words, they're like, what else you got? We've seen you do some cool stuff, but what else you got? Now, Essentially, what they're saying is, so far, Jesus, cool, impressive, but you haven't really performed up to our standards. If you, if you had, then we would trust and obey and believe, but you haven't yet. So what else you got? And keep something in mind. These are the people that just witnessed God feed like 20,000 people miraculously, man. Uh, how many parents in the room? Most of us, a lot of us, so many kids in this church, I love it. Um, how many of you guys have had that experience with your kids where they kind of test you and by going like, you don't love me. Have you got that yet? Okay, we got that, uh, we got that for a short season with both our girls. They tried it and we were like shutting it down quick. Um, but in both instances, it had something to do with like, at like 6.30 in the morning, they want candy or something. They want something that's just ridiculous. It's like, hey girls, like, no, it's, the sun's not up yet. I'm not gonna give you ice cream. Like, and, and they'd just start crying and pouting, and, well, you don't love me, and, they, ah. and I'm like, wait a second, like, calm down. I do love you, and what are they doing in that moment? They're, yes, they're trying to manipulate me. It's a power play, okay? They're trying to manipulate me to give them candy or whatever. Basically, what they're saying is, is, you love me if. If's an incredibly dangerous word, friends. These people, 
that are coming after Jesus, they're essentially saying, I will believe in you if. If you show me something that meets my standards. And guys, this creeps into our lives as well. This creeps into my life. I know it creeps into yours. I, Jesus, I will follow you. I'll, get, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I will follow you if you give me a comfortable life. I will follow you if you make my financial situation what I, I think it should be. I will follow you if you give me what I want. In the same way my daughters tried to manipulate their daddy, I'm so guilty of trying to manipulate God. And the the truth is it's using him. It's using him. Can we just be like honest for a second here? Have you ever been used by somebody? Like maybe just take a moment. I know you're listening to a weird goofy guy talk in front of you, but like just take a moment and actually think about it. Have you ever been used by somebody? It's like incredibly painful. I know I shared that silly story about the guy who wanted drums. And like, I genuinely believe in my heart I've forgiven him. But things can still sting, man. That's a silly example. But I know many of, there's plenty of other stories I could share that probably wouldn't be appropriate because there's kids in the room. But either way, you've been used. Some of you have been used for your body. Some of you have been used for money. I think all of us kind of know that taste in our mouth of what it, what it tastes like to be used. Where people don't want you, they want something from you. Here's the thing, guys. The moment we put stipulations on something, the moment we use the word if, you know what's happened is we've just stripped love out of the equation. <laughs> we've just violated Jesus going, hey, Love God with all you got and love people. The moment we use if, we strip love out of the equation. And how, like, how does that happen? Because we've just made things conditional. That's like, the op, that's like the most distorted, backwards view of love ever. Love is not conditional. Love is not dependent on what you do. I, I set my affection on you. It's a love thing. It's circular almost. <clears throat> and guys, hear me say this. This is why the love of Jesus is so incredibly profound. It's unlike any other love. It is true love. Because Jesus, he came to restore what? Our relationship with God, relationship with God and with each other. He came to restore love. That's what he came for. And what's crazy is he came for those who reject him. He didn't come for those who loved him. He came for those who reject him, who disobey him, who use him. He came for people. He came for his enemies. Like this guy. And like you. Because you're just as broken as I am. The truth is, Jesus loves without condition. He has this beautiful, like stubborn love. It's grace. Grace is unmerited. You can't earn it. You can't earn his love. He just, he just loves you. 
I ask my daughters all the time, like, why does daddy love you? And I'm training them that it's not because they're smart or they're beautiful or they're kind or, or they do good things. No, they know that daddy loves them. Why? Because they're daddy's daughter. I love them because of who they are, not because of what they do. It's an unconditional love. That's what love is, okay? I know I'm preaching at you, but I love it. Jesus doesn't use if, man. He doesn't use if. That violates the gospel. Hear me say that. If you ever think God loves me if, it's not Christianity. You hear me say that? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 31. Our ancestors, this is, uh, this is the, the people seeking Jesus again. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're referencing quickly, you know, the story of Moses. God miraculously provides like this dust that they gathered together, manna that could make bread. Miraculously, they're wandering in the wilderness. That's what they're referencing, okay? Keep going. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me, trust, complete trust, no one who completely trusts in me will ever be thirsty again. Okay, really quickly, Jesus makes a promise here. Okay, and basically what he's promises is he's promising that those who come to him, who, presence, God's presence, those who come to him and those who completely trust in him, he's promising complete satisfaction. Imagine what complete satisfaction would feel like. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So he makes this promise, Okay. Now, I don't normally do this, but I would dare you to trust, like to, to, like to actually trust what Jesus is saying here. I dare you to test him on this, like to actually engage with him, to actually be with him, to seek him out and be with him and to trust him and obey him. Remember, brick by brick, five minutes at a time and see if you do not experience a level of satisfaction that is unparalleled to anything else in all of creation. Test him on it. Okay, Jesus continues. Verse 36, he says, Jesus says this, but as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. I love this, okay? Anybody ever feel like an outsider? You don't have to raise your hand because it, it's weird, but you ever feel like an outsider? You ever feel like no matter what you do in certain instances and in certain maybe social circles or different seasons of life, no matter what you do, you feel like you're like, I'm on the outside kind of looking in. Like they, they're really close and I'm just kind of like, I know they, maybe they like me, but like I'm still kind of on the outside. I'm not on the inside. I'm not like, I'm not part of the crew. I'm part of the like, it's like I'm not in the band. I'm like the roadie. So I'm like, I get to go on tour, but I'm, you ever feel that way? I do, man. It's basically called being insecure. <laughs> Anybody ever feel insecure? I love this, man. Jesus says he embraces, listen to me, everyone who comes to him. Everyone, no matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter your socioeconomic status. Check this out. 
no matter your sin, the gnarliest sin you can think of, the worst things in the world, the sins that would make the people in the room go, ooh, no matter what, everybody who comes to Jesus, he receives them. If you come to him for him, you hear me say that? Jesus never rejects those who come to him. Verse 38, let's keep going. I'm going long. For I have come, this is Jesus, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, God the Father. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son, that's Jesus, and believes in him, complete trust, completely trusts him, will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore, the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, this isn't Jesus, or sorry, they were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Okay, don't forget, these people, they sought Jesus out. Okay, they came to him. They were looking for him, okay? And there were things that they liked about Jesus. They were. If, if, if there wasn't, they wouldn't have sought him, okay? But here, they're confronted with some things that they don't like. Something that makes them uncomfortable. And this still happens all the time today. People like things about Jesus. They love that Jesus stood up for the poor, man. Yeah, the poor and the marginalized. Jesus took a stand for them. Absolutely. They love that. <clears throat> they love that he preached radical generosity and love. They love that he was a huge advocate for women, especially in a culture that was like gnarly oppressive to ladies, okay? Huge advocate for women, firmly against racial discrimination and greed. Yes, people, modern people, absolutely, we can get behind that with Jesus. Okay? But there are things that Jesus said. There are things about him that people don't like as much. Like he claimed he was the only way to salvation. The only way to God is through Jesus. His words. People go, oh, what the, who, who are you to say that? Well, if he's God. <laughs> but either way, I'm not, people aren't stoked on that. Jesus created sex amazing gift, beautiful, right, in the context. But he also says this. He says, but it belongs exclusively in the context of marriage. People go, how controlling. But then you look at the brokenness of the world sexually, and you're like, well, wait a second. There may be some wisdom here. Jesus says that, the, that God's spiritual family is a greater family than even Biology. Like some of you, that's really easy because you're like, my biological family is like the greatest source of pain in my life. I love my biological family. I'm radically blessed with biological family that I don't, I'm not just convinced they love me, I actually like them. <laughs> but Jesus has some, he has some uncomfortable things to say. The list goes on and on and on. Here's the thing, friends. To dismiss any of Jesus' claims is to dismiss Jesus. This idea of picking and choosing. Like, that's what these people are doing. Does that seep into your life? Christian, if you're following Jesus, does that seep into your life where you pick and choose? 
ah, yeah, cool with this, but no, I'm going to pretend like Jesus didn't say this. Let's keep moving. Verse 43. Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Okay, I know I'm going long. I'm going to keep going because this is massive. (laughs) This is one of the really uncomfortable things that Jesus says, okay? He basically says, you wouldn't seek me or choose me unless God first sought you and chose you. That, That offends people. Um, and to be completely honest with you, the first time I started to encounter this in the scriptures, it really offended me. Um, and the, and the, the track that I went down was essentially, um, it, it, in my mind at the time, it violated my ability to have free will. And, and here's the thing, guys. If this offends you like it offended me in the past, I'm convinced it's because you're in a similar space space, hear me out, that maybe, maybe you haven't analyzed it enough yet. Because there is beauty here. There's beauty here that will change your life. Let's jump in for just a second, okay? This is, this is hot water, okay? Just so we know. I'm going to be very, very sensitive here. This is known as the doctrine of election, And for whatever reason, Christians usually don't have a problem with election in the Old Testament. They don't have a problem with, like, God chose the people of Israel. He set his affection on them. They don't have a problem with election in the Old Testament. But people like me, who discover it in the New Testament, go, this rubs me the wrong way. This is a problem within the New Testament. Because people mistakenly think that election violates our free will. Okay? So to try to illustrate this, are we doing okay? You with me? Yes? Okay. To try to illustrate this, I I stole this from another pastor, but I'm going to use it anyway. I want you to imagine for the next 10 years, the next 10 years, you have two meal options, okay? And they get brought to you on a platter. Two meal options, every meal, next 10 years. Meal number one is your favorite meal. Imagine, just whatever it is for you, okay? Your favorite meal. Maybe it's like a fillet, or as the South Africans call it, fillet. Maybe it's a fillet. Maybe it's... um, Uh, whatever, pasta, pizza, whatever, your favorite thing. And like the best dessert you can think of, hot apple pie or those of you pizzuki lovers, whatever it is. (laughs) I'm getting amens from the back on the pizzuki. So that's meal number one, okay? Meal option number two. Um, Have you ever seen the second Indiana Jones movie, Temple of Doom, where they're sitting at the table and they bring him the delicious monkey brains? And it's in the skull of the monkey. And they take off the, and it's just nasty. So imagine, you know, meal number two is that delectable monkey brain, maybe like drizzled with some doo-doo, you know, just kind of like on top for garnishing of whatever. And there's plenty of like kind of flies swirling around because that's what they're attracted to. So those are your two meal options, okay? Meal number one, your favorite meal. Meal number two, Indiana Jones grossness, okay? Those are your, your meal options, which one would you choose? Anybody want number two? Anybody. Bold. Come on. That's weird. Nobody in the room wants meal number two. Here's the thing. 
You can't choose meal number two, not because you don't have free will. You can't choose it because you can't desire it. it correct me if I'm wrong, it's gross. It's offensive even. Guys, the Bible teaches that every single human heart is deceived. Like there's like a a spell cast on us. And the spell is like the food that you need, the meal that your soul longs for. Like you're deceived and you see it as monkey brains. You see it as offensive and gross. And it's not that you can't choose it, it's that you can't desire that. So listen, what happens if your body doesn't get the nutrients that it needs? You can answer this. You, yeah, absolutely, you starve. You slowly start to perish. Hear me say this, the same is true of your soul. So what hope does somebody have if they're in that predicament? If you're in that situation, if, some, if a person is in that situation and they literally, the thing that they need, they see it as monkey brains, what hope do they have? Oh, the only hope they have is that someone intervenes. Intervention's the only hope, that someone outside of you breaks the spell and enables you to see the truth. Reality. When Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, here's why that's beautiful. Because it means it's based completely on his grace. It's not something you can earn. Let me read you a quote uh, on this idea of, uh, I'll read it to you, it's it's brilliant. Uh, It's from Tim Keller, pastor in New York City. He says this, quote, if I'm chosen because I believe, that means I'm a Christian because I'm a little better I'm a little wiser. I'm a little humbler. There's something in me that's better. What that means is that there's something in me that brought the grace of God into my life. That if I lose that, I lose it. But if I'm not chosen because I believe, but rather, listen to this, I believe because I'm chosen, then that means the love of Christ has come into my life unconditionally. It means there's no way I can lose it. It also means there's absolutely nothing about me that makes me any better than anybody else. None of my insight, none of my faith, none of my virtue, none of my character, nothing. God is a God, therefore, of absolute and complete and sheer grace. This is what makes Christianity different than anything else on the planet. Every religion in the world tells you, here's what you need to do, to be okay with God. Christianity says, you've blown it. Let me intervene. Let him intervene. And guys, don't you see how beautiful that is? That means there's no place for boasting. Like, the Christian is saved by grace, not because they're better than anybody else. Um, I remember when I was a young kid, I have this vivid memory. Um, I, I'm, I had to be like two or three, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and I'm, we're with some family friends and we're kind of, I'm playing as a kid. 
and I stumble, there's like a, a, a spa, in-ground spa, you know? Bubbles are on, lights are on, the whole thing. And I stumble and I fall into this spa. And I'm a young boy. Like I can't, I, I think it might have been the first time I touched water that wasn't a bath that I knew of, you know? And I stumble and I fall into this spa and I, rem- I can vividly, it's crazy. I think it's my, my oldest memory. I can, I can vividly see being in the water and like the bubbles, you know, like a spa, right? Yeah? Like the bubbles in a spa, I can see it because I open my eyes and I can see that like everything is the color of the light inside the spa, but it's not a normal color light. It's like that amber kind of like, like these. And I remember, I remember thinking like, I'm in a different world. Like, where am I? I was confused. I was disoriented. And then like, a, and then like uh, I didn't see it coming, but then my, my pops comes in and just grabs me out of the water. And do you know what I didn't do in that moment when he pulled me out of the water? I wasn't like bragging. I wasn't like, <laughs> I was just saved from drowning. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but like I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, I was saved by drowning. I, uh, I fell in the pool and it was really, it was, it was what I did. And then I, I, I was saved. I was rescued out of, you don't brag about being rescued from drowning. You can testify about it. This happened to me. It was crazy. Somebody saved my life, but you don't brag about it. Guys, the Christian is somebody that God rescues. It's God's gracious intervention. So how do you know he's actually grabbing a hold of you? How do you know? Verse 44, I'm going to read it again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's Jesus' words, not mine. I love that it says draws. Okay? Draws, you can, you can take it apart in the Greek, and it really, really means it's like to pull close, even despite resistance. Like, you'd, like they use the same verb when, the, when they would cast the nets out and draw in more fish than they could handle in the nets. They draw it in. I love that it says draws. It does not say driven. Friends, God doesn't force us. He's given you a choice. Free will is a thing. If I want to pick up this water bottle and drop it right now, I can. It does not say driven. He doesn't force anybody to do anything. So listen, you know you're being chosen. You know he's drawing you. You know he's grabbing a hold of you when Jesus starts to become beautiful. When the spell begins to wear off. When, one, when, when, was, when what was once kind of disgusting or gross or uncomfortable becomes the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. That's Jesus, man. That is Jesus. And when you see him, when you really see him, you don't want to use him. You do not want to use him. You simply start to want him. The Christian is saved by grace alone, friends. I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. We're going to wrap out this... um, next several verses and then I'll be done. I know I'm going long, um, but we couldn't break up these passages and be faithful to them. 
Okay, follow along with me. We're almost done. Verse 47, this is Jesus wrapping us up. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, talking about the Jews, right? Their ancestors in the wilderness wandering with the manna. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Okay, I said, Jesus says some uncomfortable things. Here comes the most uncomfortable thing that Jesus is gonna say all day. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, brace yourselves, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. I travel and I see the church around the globe, like not just in Southern California, not just in America, like the more I see and I witness the church globally, the more I become aware of just how different the church in America really is. I am the church in America. Okay, we are the church in America. But I I see how different the church in America is. For instance, so many American Christians, maybe even some of you, like this is not some of you, like you're here, I'm so stoked you're here, but you're here to be entertained. Like to, to watch, to spectate. And listen to me, hear me say this. If that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. Like you're not just welcome, you're invited. Like there will always be a seat at the table, at this table for everyone. to know what this, what this gathering, what it really is. It's a meal. This gathering is a meal. And we gather to feast on Jesus. To taste and see that the Lord is good. How about that for a guarantee? Jesus says, taste and see taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we do. That's what this is. It's not something that you come to to be entertained by. Not that the guy in front of you is entertaining by any means, but it's not something that we spectate. It's not something that we watch. 
It's a meal where the redeemed and blood-bought people of God feast on him. So let me ask you again, in love, God, I'm not better than you, okay? In love, what are you consuming? And is it Jesus? Because Jesus, he invites everybody, no matter what, he invites everyone, come, come. Come and feast on something. Feast on something that will satisfy the deepest cravings of your soul. What is that? His body and his blood. And you might be thinking like, where is this going, bro? Some of you get it already. Some of you are like, I don't understand this. Later in John, he says this, John 15, verse 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Guys, the Mount Everest of love is sacrifice. And... There was no greater sacrifice in the history of the world, no greater love than the cross of Jesus, man. The innocent and holy one dying the death that I deserve. Guys, at the cross, Jesus, he willingly offers his body and his blood. Nobody takes it from him. He says, it's mine to give and I willingly lay it down. Why would he do it? Why? of his love. Guys, his body and his blood, they're signs. They're they're signs. They point to something. They're signs of the greatest love that there's ever been and the greatest love that there ever will be. And that's God's love for you. It's not just an abstract thing. It's very personal. It's for you. One more question for you. Can you feel God drawing you closer to Jesus this morning? Can you feel that? Hear me say this. He will not drive you. He will not force you. So here's what I want to do. Intentionally and as humbly and as graciously and as I'm not better than you in any way, I want to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good I want to invite you to do what you were created to and do. And that is to enjoy his love, to feast on it, to devour it, to consume it, to actually take it in, not to smell it. Oh yeah, that smells delightful. To feast on it, man, to take it in to the core of who you are. Will you stand if you're able? I'm going to pray for us. going to listen for a bit and then pray, okay? Um, I feel like I'm just supposed to quote scripture, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us has... um, Every single one of us has betrayed God, betrayed ourselves, betrayed each other with sin. Sin is this problem that we all suffer from. It's this, uh, it's this outbreak. But the beautiful thing is that God is gracious. His grace knows no bounds and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So in any moment, in every moment, we always get to run to the foot of the cross and go, Jesus, save me. And you know what his answer is? Yes, (laughs) every time. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, would you help us to feast on you? Not to just smell you, (laughs) not to just get an aroma, but to actually take a bite and devour it and take you in to receive your love. It's more than a concept. It really is relationship. I know that's cliche, but it's so true. We want to know you more deeply. We want to experience you because we know that that's eternal life and we can experience that now. We don't have to wait until the redemption of all things. We can experience redemption now. And that's our desire. That's our hope. So I'm so grateful for your grace that covers me and I want to enjoy you right now. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters and my friends in this room that all of us, Nobody in the room would feel condemned because of the grace of God. You're not disappointed in us. You knew. That's why you came. You knew we would would follow the ways that we would. That's why you came, Jesus. And you loved us still. So be with us this morning as we respond to you now. Help Help us to taste you and see that you're good. And give us a joy deep down in our soul, a satisfaction, just like we sit back at the table of, at, like a, at a brilliant meal, we can kind of kick back and go, gosh, that was satisfying. Let's do that now, Lord. Let us do that right now. Love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. And all God's people said, amen.